Welcome to the original Vegan Business Talk with myself, Shane Jeremy James, where I discuss life-changing business advice with vegan companies who are making a true difference in the world. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the next episode. And today, our guest is Daniela and Ellen, but I said it wrong because she said her her last name on paper has a letter, but it's not pronounced that way, correct? So you say the yes, last name. Correct, correct. My last name is Alem, and it has the Ain, which is the letter in Arabic that doesn't exist in uh, right. English. <laughs> so it's true. So when you, uh, when you look at it, you would never like figure that out. <laughs> exactly. Awesome. And she's the founder of a company called Plant Plantis. Uh, so welcome. So tell us a little bit about uh, your back, a little bit about you, backstory, and then how did you get into what you're doing today? Awesome. Sure. So um, I guess I'll start at the beginning. So I was raised in, in Bolivia, in the Bolivian Amazonia uh, in South America. Um, and I moved to the U.S. for college, um, studied anthropology and spent uh, the first part of my career in the nonprofit world in international development and sustainable development. But then after I went and got my MBA, I started working in the food and beverage space. And so have been there for the last decade, um, working primarily with brands for the last 10 years or so. And in the last couple of years, I started Plantas, which is a marketing strategy, a consulting firm and educational platform for budding and emerging plant-based and vegan brands. Nice. So uh, give us a little bit, um, how, when did you start it? What year? Started it, um, actually started in 2020, but really started going off the, getting off the ground in 2021. So two right. years ago. Two years ago. So what's been one of your, a couple of your biggest challenges in that type of business? Yeah, well, the transition from being an employee to being your own boss, right, is is always a challenge. Um, you go, I, I went from sort of having a lot of folks that I worked with and collaborated with to being the solo entrepreneur. And not only am I doing marketing, but I'm also doing finance and accounting. And so having yeah. to wear all of the hats for my business. So that was something that took took some getting used to and, right. and not really uh, working with others at first. Um, I do have a smaller team now, but um, but yes, yeah, so that was probably like the biggest challenge at first was just adjusting to the different way of working and and the different hats that I had to wear uh, throughout the process. Right. That makes sense. I was doing a training last night for a bunch of vegan businesses and we were literally going through like every scope it takes to win in business and how to put it all together. And you know, these are some businesses that are startups, some that have, you know, been in business for quite a long time, you know, and even the ones that are, that I'm coaching that off were, you know, already offered to be bought up for millions. They're still like, they said, you know, still like, I need your help to even get to that next level because there's so many moving components in it. And I'm still trying to learn, you know, how, When's the right time to keep putting my CEO hat on when I'm stuck in the weeds, trying to do marketing and trying to do this and trying to operation, trying to hire somebody and and stuff and and it's such a yin and yang, you know and and uh, mm -hmm. and I know I mean I've been able to do it and and get there, but I know the I I know the challenges and it's still even for us even though we've gotten a bit bigger and stuff, it's still the challenges where I'll find you know where you get stuck in the day to day too much and you're like okay I need to step back here 
to really grow this business or we're just going to be operating day to day for the next five years. Right? Oh, absolutely. Yes. I, I that definitely resonates. Um, <laughs> it's definitely been that juggling act, right. Of, of figuring right. out where do I put my energy every single day and uh, being a lot more prescriptive about, okay, I, I need to, I need to step back for a moment. And, and especially because I do a lot of work with clients and usually a variety of clients at the same time that, you know, it's very tempting to just get lost in that work and, yeah. and neglect the business side of my business as well. So yeah, definitely that resonates. It's true. It's true. And I think that is probably the, one of the hardest, biggest challenges for a small business. And it's, it's, you know, I tell everybody that the key is though, is you have to keep figuring out how to give, get above it and get over it to keep driving mm -hmm. it. And mm -hmm. so you have to, you know, pick your battles properly at times, right? So not yeah, easy. Definitely, definitely <laughs> not easy, but, but well worth the ride. I mean, it's been an amazing uh, couple of years and, and uh, yeah, I haven't regretted it for one second, but it's definitely something that's not for the weak <laughs> and, and like oh. faint of heart, right? Um, it's a lot harder than I think people think to start a business and, and build it from scratch. Yeah, you know, it's very interesting. And I said this last night on one of our trainings. I said, for some reason, when people get into business, they think that just because you open a business and you have a service and a product, that it's just going to happen. People are going to come. They don't understand. It's probably one of the highest level skill sets that you have to learn in the world to really make it. And when you in, in 10 years, only 4% of businesses are still in business. And I look at that, and that is honestly just because a lot of times the lack of skill set of the entrepreneur understanding how to operate the business properly, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, yeah, and so, yeah, definitely. <laughs> and the marketing side as well, you know, that another thing I kind of struggled with at first was, um, you know, I'm a marketer by training um, and by trade. Right. And so I do this, like I could do this in my sleep for my clients, yeah. but it's, it's a different thing when it's your baby and when it's your yeah. business. Um, yeah. and so that was some of the things that internally I also had to work through, um, feeling comfortable marketing myself now as, right. as the product and as the service. So, yeah, that's yeah. great. And then, and then you get caught up like what you just said, working so much with your clients and you forget to start, oh, geez, like I need to cut this clip and create some content for myself to get out there. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's like, I should be taking some of my own advice. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. uh, um, so tell us a little more, a uh, little more about the, so you came from corporate to, to, to entrepreneurship, right? Yes, I did. Was that a, do you, do you find, was that a very hard change for you to come from corporate to now straight entrepreneurship by yourself yeah i mean it was both like uh it, it had the, the pros and cons to it right i had i had always wanted to be an entrepreneur in fact that's why i went to business school in the first place um right. but i also you know once i got out of business school i realized i want to get that corporate world experience um and to learn sort of the inner workings of these big corporate machines so that then later when I started my own business, I could really understand that. So it was a yeah. very intentional choice that I, it was something that I had been planning towards for a long time. Um, so I knew that that was when I, where I was going to end up eventually. Um, 
But sure, there are things about the corporate environment. It, it was definitely some certain things were jarring, like, wait, I have to get my own insurance now. And, and, you know, even small things like that, right, that that normally kind of fall under the corporate um, uh, umbrella of just like you just are an employee, just show up, do your work and everything else <laughs> kind right. of figures itself out on the back end. So that was definitely a, a challenge was understanding all of those admin pieces that I hadn't really paid attention to um, as an employee. Um, but I think, you know, and then the other part was that in my corporate world, I, I used to be in back to back meetings all day, every single day, right? So my, my schedule was super structured and it was like right. from nine to five, I was in meetings <laughs> like five days a week. Um, and then now when I, I'm my own entrepreneur, I get, I get to choose how I spend my time. And so that was an adjustment, but it was something that I was yeah. certainly looking forward to was owning more of my time and, and really being able to work a schedule that really worked for me. So that, that was sort of the plus side, but it took a little getting used to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, people don't really understand if you want to be an entrepreneur and you really want to make it, you have to be like highly self-motivated and self-disciplined. You have like you have to be, there's no other way to, to make it. And I see that's probably one of the, the skill sets that I see people lack when they get into it, because it, it is, you know, you, you've, I mean, yeah, no one else is going to pay your paycheck, so you right. better get up when and you need to no get up. there's no boss, and... right? You're the boss. So there's nobody yeah. that you have to be accountable for and sort of creating that for yourself when you remove the structure of a corporate place. Um, it can yeah. be jarring for some folks, and it definitely was for me. It was definitely an adjustment of figuring out, wait a minute, I got to be accountable to myself, and yeah. um, and I have to sort of switch the way I'm thinking about when I'm going to do my work and how I'm going to accomplish the things I want to accomplish. Right. And I would think the corporate helped you a little bit, too, just to see the dynamics of how businesses are run and working teams and stuff like that. So I think that, you know, when you come out of corporate like that too and bring it in you do pick up some pretty good skill sets that you're able to watch and 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 do through that corporate structure oh absolutely yeah i mean it's informed the way i mean for one and what i advise my clients obviously but but how i really think about my own business right having been in the rooms with with ceos and cmos and folks that are really high level thinking about things strategically it's really helped me apply those same strategic frameworks and tools and ways of thinking about how do you organize a business to my own business. And I, I, I don't think I would be here if, if I hadn't had that experience. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So give us a little more background of the businesses business, like what exactly services do you do that type of stuff? Sure. Yeah. So we provide uh, marketing and strategy consulting for emerging plant-based vegan brands that are either food, beverage, or wellness brands. Um, so some of the things we work on are a lot of our clients are getting ready to launch their first product. So we'll work to set that marketing strategy, figure out you know, how to allocate your marketing budget, how to think about all the moving pieces in the business to really hit those uh, revenue goals that you might have. Right. Um, for more established brands that have been, say, in the market for, for a while, um, some of the work that I do there is sometimes thinking about 
okay, well, they've had these products that have done really well. What's next? How do we think about innovation in the future? And really coming at it from a really strategic mindset, a lot of the work that I do is informed by consumer insights um, because of my background in anthropology. Um, and that's really the way that I learned how to do marketing, which is you have to know your, your consumer targets. You need to know them really well beyond just their, say, age and gender. Really understand what are their motivations, what are their behaviors? How are they making decisions on shelf about which vegan product to choose, right? And so a lot of my work has that as an underpinning. So we might also be running surveys or other types of research to really get a solid understanding of, of how this, these products or these potential products would perform in the market. So that's a little bit uh, of yeah. what we do. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of other small stuff, but, but that in yeah. general. Why did you pick that cat those you know few kind of categories to go after? Yeah, so you know I had been uh, I basically grew up vegetarian um, and then I sort of went back and forth for a while and then I finally became vegan over seven years ago. And at the time I had been working in food and beverage for a bit. But I had never in my life thought that it would be the, the category and the industry would be where it is now. I never thought that I would see that in my lifetime, right? I, I'm, right. I'm sort of used to people, you know, when, when I used to say that I was vegetarian or vegan, people would give me like the weirdest looks and be like, well, but do you eat fish? Um, and so I had always thought that this was something that was very niche and wasn't really going to grow. Um, right. And so, and so, yeah, but, but once I started to notice that, oh, wow, like these products seem to be picking up momentum and there is a shift in consumer awareness around the importance of eating these types of foods and products and eating a more plant-based or vegan diet. Um, I was like, I don't want to miss this opportunity to start working in this, to start working in this industry. And really what I noticed as well is that there were a lot of startups and emerging brands that were launching products, but they didn't have these best practices, as I call it, from, from big corporations, right? From having been through an MBA, understanding how you really need to sell and market these products, um, because it's not easy, right? Uh, you know, food brands are born every single day, but yeah. but more of them die every single day, similar yeah. to businesses, I would say. Um, yeah. And so I noticed that there was a really big gap uh, between what people were trying to achieve and, and the tools and skill sets that they had available. Um, and so I really wanted to bring some of these learnings and, and insights and wisdom and help smaller brands succeed so that we can really propel the industry forward across you know every single category nice do you find that uh you know and i know this for a lot of small businesses and maybe not for you it's one of the biggest challenges is getting the attention of the market for almost small businesses especially you know, if you have low budgets and you're competing against people that have marketing dollars of, you know, a hundred thousand a month, a million a month, you know, kind of exactly. crazy stuff like that. It's not easy. Have you found that that's been a challenge to get more attention in the market to get known as a new business? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, 
we we see it in the trends we see it in the research we see it in our own lives our, our attention is becoming much more fragmented it's becoming a precious resource um people are bombarded with marketing messages every single day and in general consumers are getting smarter and more discerning about tuning things out and so it is really difficult to stand out as a brand especially if you have a small budget and so those are one of the things that, that we work on with with brands is how can you even if you have limited resources how can you stand out and part of that the core of that is really understanding who you're trying to reach and what really matters to them right and 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 fitting your your marketing and your messaging towards them um and also finding ways to creatively stand out that might mean like you do very funny content right or it might it might mean different things to different brands but it's certainly a challenge and it's probably the biggest uh issue that we help brands with right is like i i have i have very limited marketing budget how do i make this work for me and and there's a lot of different uh ways that we that we approach that issue right so let's let's give us an idea let's break down just a small business you can pick whatever industry or whatever you want what would be an idea if somebody has a you know a very small budget what what would you direct and what do you think they should be looking at doing yeah so i generally tend to say that um I would want them to always think about what are the highest ROI channels that you should be on, right? A lot of brands think, oh, we need to be on Instagram and we need to be on Facebook and we need to be, we need to be everywhere, right? And they end up spreading themselves too thin. And so my, my number one recommendation tends to be, which are the channels that your consumers are at? That's the number one thing. Um, but once you figure that out, which are the ones that will deliver the highest ROI for your budget, right? And, um, and so some of the common ones these days that I tend to recommend are TikTok. Um, TikTok versus, say, Instagram, right? If you're going to put uh, resources against creating content, we've seen that, like, long, you know, uh, the long ways, short form video tends to be uh, the thing that will give you the most engagement and ROI on the content creation side. The other thing that I really encourage brands to do is email. Um, email, you know, 15 yep. years into my marketing career continues to be um, a strategy that I think is very under leveraged and is very low cost. Um, but yeah. if you do it well, you can really foster um, a great community and it starts to become a two-way conversation with your consumers and, and it can really help you build uh, loyalty and, and stand out from, from the noise, right? If you're trying to compete on these platforms like Instagram and perhaps even TikTok, where you are competing with other visuals, assets, sounds, um, it's right. going to be a lot harder. But people's inbox is still a place that I think uh, goes under leverage. So those are a, a few that that I tend to recommend, but it really depends on the brand, right? If, yeah. if your target audience is, is not on TikTok, then, then maybe not. Um, but I would also uh, challenge that because I think everyone is on TikTok now. Yeah, I mean, I think, too, I agree too. I, it's almost like, you know, it was almost like Instagram, you know, five years ago where it's yeah. like everyone's just switched over to there now and it's like the kind of platform and, you know, they'll probably roll another good, 
you know, maybe four years or three years or five years or whatever till the next one comes along. And then, you know, the kids start to move to the next one and then exactly. it starts to change or the election shuts it down. So here's a question. What happens if you go all in on one platform like TikTok and then Trump gets elected next channel and shuts it down? Right. Yeah, that is a common concern. And that's what well, that's why I would say always have email, right? Because nobody's going to shut your down your email list. So that's right. one thing. And I would always encourage brands to not be dependent entirely on one platform. Um, you know, when I think about a marketing strategy, you want to have multiple things supporting your goal, multiple channels that could also be events that could be demoing and sampling that could be giving people free products so they can post about it or tell their friends, right? You want to touch people across multiple uh, touch points, right? You want to reach them across multiple touch points exactly for that reason. You do not want to put all of your focus in one channel entirely um, because that can always backfire. And especially with something, especially with something like TikTok, what I tend to tell brands is like, get in there now while you can <laughs> and just mm -hmm. squeeze what you can out of it uh, because it might not be around for a, a long, that long. And, or like you said, it might just evolve and we might just move on to the next one, right? And that's the yeah. thing with a lot of social media a lot of social media channels, which is why I recommend brands own some of that communication with their consumers directly. So they don't really have to completely depend on Instagram going down, which happens all the time, right? And things like that. Yeah, I mean, to me, I, I always I agree too with that. And, and, you know, I've built big databases and stuff like that. And, and, I've always had access to pull the trigger and make money fast on certain things because of my databases. And mm -hmm. it, it's always been a safety net on different things that I did. And whether I'm, we're building our compassionate community to funnel them into our Facebook group and then move them into the email and then all around and they just see us all the time. You know, we, we know where we're bringing them and moving them with us. Um, mm -hmm. exactly. And, and it, I think it's just so important. And pe my friend just bought, an, e an email, a vegan email list database. He just paid a million dollars because he just wanted the database. He didn't even want the business. Wow. Wow. So, so you know, it shows, and I always tell the business owners too, if I come with the same business as you, you have a restaurant, I have a restaurant, and I have a database of 100,000, you have a database of 5,000 because you didn't do it right. My business is worth way more than yours is. Exactly. So, you know, so, I mean, it, email it is... No, you're right. Open rates are not like it used to be 20 years ago, but it's not. I tell people it's not about that. The people that truly want your brand to buy from you want the emails. They want to open. They want, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I think there's ways, right? You can clean up your list. You can do that type of stuff. But but at the end of the day, it still continues to be king, in my opinion, um, because you have the ability to really hone in on your message and own right it's longer form you can you can really play yeah. a lot with it you're not you're not subject to these rules of like you have to make a video like this or you have to yeah. cut your instagram photo like that um it, it it's and it's and you would be surprised how many emerging vegan brands do not utilize their email in the right way I, I, I'll agree with you on that. I'll agree with you on just about every small business does not that, utilize that's true. their that's true. email. That's in right. right. Way. You're right. right? Everybody should do, do it. 
So if we took a hundred, I bet you we would find five that did it really good. If that, that's probably even pushing five. You know what I mean? Right? Like mm -hmm. really good. There's probably two that do it like bang on where we'd be like, holy shit. Like you get this thing. The other three would be okay. And the other like 95 are just completely lost. Totally. That That's definitely been my experience when I just talked to any any folks that are running a business, any type of business. A lot are not even, they're not even considering even building an email list, let alone right. even thinking and it, about and it, it. For a lot of people, it seems like very <laughs> tedious and onerous and like, how do I build it? And and it's it's not that hard. Like, just put something on your website, right? Like, there's 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 re if you really want to go in into your into your email list, there's ways to do that. But even if you if you don't have the resources to devote to making your email list the best email list ever, you can still start building it in small ways. That's another very common thing that I notice, and I've noticed it with myself sometimes as well. Is that it, you know, per perfect is the enemy of done, right? Mm -hmm. And that you feel like, oh, if I can't do it like in this perfect way that I want to do it, or if I can't have this amazing email every single month, then it's not worth it. And I would argue that that that's an assumption that needs to go. And that the way you build over time is, is just by setting those small building blocks. And over time, maybe you will have more resources to devote to it. But the best time to start your email list was yesterday, and the next best time is today. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree with you too. One of my friends has an email list, and he barely puts any pictures, doctors it up. It's just kind of straight copy goes through. He makes a hundred thousand a month, and it's not even and it's dirty. Like it's yeah, it, you it's would not even it, like a like, beautiful or whatever. Not yeah. at all. Not at all. And he just is like one hundred percent right. He's like. My people like when I just keep communicating with them and it keeps my retention up. They hear from me. They like it. They buy more. They circle around, you know, so it just shows, you know, and I, I always, like I'm so believe in what you say, because to me, all of it's just a no brainer, because the more touch points you have with people, the more you earn their trust. It's just yes. kind of like one plus one is two. That's how yes. it works. And people right? need, you know, in marketing, we know we call that frequency. Like you need to show up in people's lives multiple times before they even register that you exist. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. so yeah, like it takes a long time. Like they might just see your name, but it's not even registering. And you might say, oh, I posted enough for today or, or like, oh, well, I already said that in my email list. It's like, no, repeat it and repeat it again. Because people have not noticed. And it really takes some time and frequency for them to start creating those brand associations in their mind about who you are and what you what you offer. That's a good topic, you know, and I always see a con this controversy. And I just see somebody post this today. And he was kind of like, they own, they own a digital agency and they're kind of making a joke about it. And so they were like, oh yeah, post three times a day on three different platforms, ha, 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 right? Meaning they were trying to say, you know, you should just post on one platform, not as much, maybe, you know, a couple times a day. What do you believe when it comes to that? I know what my belief is, but I'll let you go first. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think I think what I tend to recommend is is do as much as is available to you 
but always with with what I said before in the back of your mind is that people are overloaded with information, right? They know that they're being marketed to constantly. You know, we know it as consumers ourselves. So sometimes it's helpful to put in yourself into the shoes of like who you want to reach and understand that they're so busy, right? Not just with the things that they receive, but also with their obligations, their family, their work. There's so many things uh, vying for our attention at all times. And so if you really want to stand out, uh, you know, frequency is the name of the game. And I don't think it has to be as prescriptive as you need to post three times a day in this one versus that one. I think it's also really important to understand that not everyone has the resources, both monetary, both people, and just like energy wise to really manage a lot of different platforms and, and a, a, a daily type of posting strategy. So the other piece that I would say is like, you need to marry your goals with, with a realistic assessment of where you are as, as a person, where you are as a business owner, um, and what do you have to offer? What kind of resources can you put in? And what's realistic? Because I also hear a lot of times brands that are like, yeah, we're going to post like three times a day and then they start going, but then they drop off, right? And if it's not sustainable, it's also not going to work. It needs to be something that you can that you can sustain over a period of time so you can start building that connection, those connection points uh, with your audience and for every business and every business owner, it's going to look different. Um, mm -hmm. so comparison is also not helpful, right? I know, you know, people always say like on TikTok, you got to post a million times per day. Um, and that's one strategy, but if you make really good content, you could get away with maybe posting once a week, right? You yeah. just have to be strategic about where you put your resources yeah. and how you're going to think about your marketing. So I don't know what your point of view is. Would no, love to hear that. Yeah, I'm pretty much in the pocket with you. I'm pretty much in the pocket with you 100% what you just said. I mean, I think it's exactly depends the brand, the person, you know, if if I have the resources, and I have the energy. Yeah, I'm going to do six a day if I can on all the platforms. Right? It's just a matter of I feel I'm going to get out there more, I'm eventually going to win, people are just going to see me more. Um, and a, a great example is, you know, in five months, we've done 105 podcasts now, I believe it is, or more than that in five months. Well, it made us over 65 grand. It mapped me back into the thing. It positioned us. It got me featured in lots of magazines. It got brands out there. But, but I mean, most people wouldn't build, and I'm doing like 20, 30, 40 a month now. Most people can never keep up to up to that. Right, they would right. they would die out. But but for me, it works, and I know how to get the market and get positioning that I want. Um, somebody might just have to cut it down in half and be like, okay, you know what I mean? Like that's that's uh, you know, I'm not going to be happy at all if I have to do that. What you're doing, you know? Exactly. So. You know, I had I had a yoga teacher uh, in India that used to say something is better than nothing. Right. And, and that's another yeah. motto that I live by. Right. So even if right, like people might not be as prolific as you are and be able to have that much energy uh, to devote to their projects or their businesses. But but really something is better than nothing as much as you can within your your boundaries and within your abilities. That's my recommendation, right? Um, yeah. Because the more you do it, we do see it, right? Like the more that you're able to get yourself out there, the more you're able 
to share your point of view, um, the more helpful it is at building your brand and building brand awareness. That's just a fact. Yeah, it's true. And I don't know why people have such a hard time getting that now nowadays. It's just a really odd thing to me where they're like, well, geez, like if I post, you know, a couple more videos, you know, a day or a week or whatever, like you think I should? Well, <laughs> of course. Of course how, is, yeah. how is anyone's <laughs> going to hear about you or know about you? Right. Like, mm -hmm. you know, and so and I think you made a good point, too on 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 the contextual kind of content when you said something and I want to piggyback on that the good example is my friend chris so she has 47 million followers on tiktok and she, she she's very comedic and kind of does these skits and stuff right and she could she doesn't have to post quite as much at the start she did to make it but she because the, her content is really good you know, it keeps scaling where I think somebody like me, if I'm just teaching business, I've got to keep more doing out there because you can only teach so much and make it exciting. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like, you know, so, um, you know, so for somebody like that, and I think that kind of goes back to what you said, if you're making, you know, taking more time to create better videos, it might work better for you. But again, you also have to try it. It might not, you might take more time to create a better video and think you're going to be Mr. Beast and then it doesn't work out. You might say, okay, we need to pivot. Exactly. That's also, yeah, that's an also, it's a common pitfall as well. Right. Um, and I think it depends on the platform, right? I think a platform like TikTok, there's a lot more room for experimentation and, and the right. audience there knows like nobody's expecting like a beautifully polished, you know, video from everyone. Like, yeah. Um, you know, a lot of the content that really connects with people there is really about it, 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 it's really about this like unfiltered, authentic point of view um, where where, you know, a brand might spend like fifty thousand dollars trying to create a beautiful video, but it just is not going to resonate because that's not what people are looking for. And so I think the other piece about it is is really having a testing and learning mindset that never ends. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and just having this ability to say, oh, look, like I posted that, that didn't seem to work. That didn't really yeah. seem to resonate as much. I wonder why, oh, could it be because of my copy? Like, did that not really connect? Right. So having that, that mindset at all times to really understand what's really connecting and what's not is definitely going to make everyone a better marketer. And surprisingly, not a lot of brands also do that. A lot of brands are like, they just set it and forget it. They're like, these are our three content pillars. These are the three content lenses that we kind of post on. And we're just going to keep going on this, right? And then maybe, maybe like every six months, we might say, huh, like, should we continue to keep this content? And what I tend to encourage is as much as you can do this, like on a regular basis, on a monthly maximum quarterly but really on a monthly basis um the better you're gonna get every single month right and your numbers and your engagement is gonna look better every single month the more you optimize your content and your strategy based on what you're learning right i think a lot of people think it's like a one-way street but actually marketing is is a two-way conversation it's actually a collaboration with the people that you're trying to serve with the people that you're trying to reach 
Um, and they have a lot of valuable, even in just their likes and their clicks, there's a lot of valuable insights and data that can help you be better. Yeah, 100%. Uh, do you think, um, you know, YouTube Shorts is a good play right now? And do you think it's a good play for every brand, I guess, is the answer? Because, you know, we've been playing more YouTube Shorts and you can just tell the algorithms is easier. It's easier to just get scale right now. Um, I also like YouTube because it is the second largest search engine in the world. So, you know, people don't really understand that. So I think if you get in there, give us your feedback on on, on YouTube and shorts right now. Oh, I think absolutely. Like without a shadow of a doubt, um, I think it's something brands should be investing in as much as possible. Um, like you said, the algorithm is is really sort of beneficial towards brands right now. It might not stay like that forever. You know how things change. But yeah. um, I think YouTube, like a lot of the content that you would create on TikTok or for Instagram Reels or YouTube Shorts, right? It's like it's the same piece of content. Just do it in a way where it can live across all these multiple platforms. Um, and yeah, don't don't neglect the fact that right youtube is the second largest search engine TikTok is the number one search engine for gen z's um and so if you're trying to reach a younger audience it makes a lot of sense and then you will also notice right a lot of the content in youtube comes from TikTok. right there's a lot of cross-pollination right. between these you know longer video formats um and so i think uh yes i would i would absolutely say Say yes, and because I also think uh, as much as possible, brands and, and, and business owners should think about utilizing things that are free first, right? Like I know brands that have been built to over a million followers with very little ad money, right? Um, just by creating really good, engaging, organic content. And so that, uh, and you know, you know, YouTube is, is an incredible place for that. Um, and, and I don't think it's going away anytime soon. Yeah, I think YouTube is one of those ones where it's a platform you can, it's almost like it's that foundation. It's almost like the one you can count on. TikTok could go, who knows, IG, I would, I would, I could see IG going a lot faster than YouTube ever. Do you know what I mean? Like I could totally. really see that happened one day. What do you think about um, when you post, and this is kind of a conversation even for myself right now. So when we're doing shorts, when I post like, you know, I've logged all over and have lots of compassion reels and stuff like that and, and, and really drills brand and really map store community. And those always get good traction when I'm doing good stuff. Super, I know like what to post to get super good traction. But then when I post some of my stuff, that's like talking a little more business, stuff like that of what we do doesn't near get the traction. So the question to you is, and this is even kind of a personal thing is, would you keep on the YouTube shorts posting both my business and compassion stuff? Or would you just go straight into more of the compassion stuff to try and win the algorithm? Mm, that's a really uh, interesting question. I guess a question I would ask you would be, what are your goals, right? So it depends on what is your goal. If you're still trying to grow the business side, right? Um, then I would not neglect it, right? I, I would right. continue to post it, but I would think about ways to maybe make that more engaging. Is there learnings from your other content that you can pull into the business content, right? 
Is there ways that you can grab uh, people's attention on the business content um, in, a, in, a, in a stronger way? So those are some immediate like first thoughts right. about it. Um, but in general, I would say there's always going to be um, content that any, any brand or any business posts there's going to be some of it that really resonates and some of it that doesn't. And it really boils down to your strategy and your goals and what you want to achieve um, and how you want to position yourself, right, uh, as a brand. If, if, if the content that is not performing is super important to your brand and to your goals, I would think about how to optimize it. And I would also have reasonable expectations, right? If you've been at it right. for a while, you can see in general how it performs. So I would lower also the benchmark. If you, if you, if you determine that it's really important for you to keep um, sharing this type of content, then I would kind of lower the benchmark for this type of content, right? Because I, I don't think it's also fair to measure, say, like a super funny video versus yeah. something that's more educational, right? Yeah. Um, and a lot of brands get stuck in that loop too of like, well, this didn't perform and it's product. And it's like, yeah, but you, yeah. you can't stop talking about your product either, yeah. right? And you just also have to understand that that eyeballs are less interested in this in general versus say like the funny video or the more engaging thing. Um, but frequency, going back to that frequency, is still important if it's a key right. part of your brand and if it's something that you want people to associate you with. Um, so yeah, that's like some preliminary thoughts. That's, how how does that no, land? That's good. That's that's super good because it's interesting because our brand is, you know, the more I started going back into the business side and stuff again, it was a bit of a yin and yang. Um, and because the compassion stuff, and you know, once a month we do stuff in the community, everyone knows us from. Um, but people don't understand like our compassion stuff has what's built us massive trust in the market. It's what mm -hmm. partners us with billion dollar brands. It's mm -hmm. what, you know, it's the, it's what you would probably call the top level CEO activity that actually builds brand that people can't even see how it probably maps to everything we do, to be honest. Um, right. And, and, and so it, it's always like, yeah, it was always, uh, I'm always kind of interested in, because I want to build YouTube more and I'm going to go really strong on YouTube again, you know, we did well on it and I love the shorts and stuff. And I like, I mean, I have, I have content to last us 10 years, you know, right. So that's like, mm -hmm. you know, that's half the battle, right. When you have that much content you're like, man, you know, when people look at my stuff, they're like, holy, like we got so much to play with. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yes, definitely. Um, and I, and I think, you know, one of the, one of the key things also to think about is, is, is your target audience the same for both types of content? And it may be or it may not be, right? Yeah. And so that might also impact your strategy, right? The compassion yeah. might be getting a wider net of folks. And yeah, is, your, is your business audience a slice of that compassion audience? Or is it a separate audience altogether? And that yeah. might also yeah. impact your strategy and how you pull it in. You might be able to funnel people from the compassion content to the other content that's one option but it really will depend on like who who is the the person or the, that archetype of person that's really going to connect with this content the most yeah that that completely makes that, that completely makes sense 
Yeah, so that was good feedback. Again, I snuck mm -hmm. in a question for myself on there. <laughs> yeah, right? No, so, yeah. I, I think that would be helpful probably for a lot of folks. Yeah. I, it's a common uh, thing that people think about. Yeah, I agree 100%. It's a conversation that we have, you know, in the back scenes a lot on, you know, different things when we're strategizing and stuff like that, right? So mm -hmm. it's, mm -hmm. uh, but it's a fun, I, I like the game. The game, shorts have made things a little funner again. To be honest, for me, because it's a little quicker, faster, easier content, you know, than it used to be and stuff like that. And and uh, I think people can, uh, you know, they got a chance, I feel, in the market again because of shorts, to be honest. Do you agree with that? Shorts has given a bit of a more chance again for everybody? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, I think I think whenever you have a platform that's really sort of in the, in the early stages of, of, of the adoption curve on the side of, of, of brands or, or, you know, content producers, it's always going to be a good time to get in before it gets super saturated and becomes another forgettable thing. Um, and, I, and I just think it's, it's a smart place, right? Because a lot of people go to YouTube to learn about a lot of different things, right? It's it's a it's a platform. Whereas like Instagram, it could be to follow your friends. It could be yeah. there's many reasons why people log into Instagram. A lot of people, the thing that YouTube has and TikTok is is starting to really veer in that direction as well, is that educational piece, right? It's like when people need to learn. Let me let me learn how to like build a van, which is something my husband did. Like he learned it all through YouTube, right? All these things, um, uh, I think, are helpful for brands that have something to say and something to educate folks on. If it's just going to be like brand, brand, brand promotion, then you know it, it might reach a, a saturation point where it might not give you the ROI that you're looking for. But if there's something of value that you're providing to people, then yeah, don't don't sleep. Don't sleep on YouTube. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. So, last qu question. It's been a very good conversation, by the way. Um, mm -hmm. Last question: Facebook Reels. Everyone says that's popping now, right? Too. So, should you be Facebook Reels? And can and if 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 your answer is yes, every brand should be there. Then, do you think like you could use the same short from say YouTube Shorts on Facebook Reel? Yeah. So, I don't know if every brand. And I guess in general, I don't know if every brand needs to be everywhere, right? To go back to right. something we said before, it really depends on who you're trying to reach and where they're where they are, right? Because if they're not on Facebook, then what's the point? Um, but I do think if you're already going through the trouble of creating video content for one platform, you might as well just cross post yeah. it right? Like do the little backend things that you can do, remove the watermark, do the things that you need to do to make sure that your content can live across platforms. Um, and I would test it, right? If, if at the end of three months, you realize like, I got zero views on Facebook, then, then maybe it's not worth it. Um, but I would say that it, because these are free platforms that you can use to just post your organic content, I would I would just try to cross post as much as possible once you create video content right um, across all, all of the above so TikTok, YouTube Instagram reels Facebook reels um, I think uh, because you might be reaching other audiences that you might not even realize were there if it's too right. much of a heavy lift for you then I would focus on like one or two that you think would have the highest ROI 
but but I don't even think it's that big of a lift to just cross post, right? You don't right. even have to do anything materially different to to make it to make it happen. And for certain brands, Facebook Reels might be where it's at for you. Like your target right. audience might be there, and and I see brands that that that's their sauce. Like that's where they're reaching people. They're maybe reaching a couple odd folks on TikTok here and there maybe a couple on YouTube, but Facebook Reels is really, it's really working for them. So it'll really depend on your brand and your goals, but in general, yeah, as much as you can, like, I'm all for efficiency, right? Like, make sure that the energy that you put into creating a piece of content, it can live on, right? And repost it, right? On TikTok, it's very common to repost it as well, like over time, right? Um, Don't recycle your content. Um, because you never know who whose eyeballs you might be coming into contact with. That makes sense. Do you think that <clears throat> when you're posting on Instagram, then you post on TikTok, <clears throat> do you think you should be mixing in at least some different content on the mix? Because then if you're posting the exact same content, somebody looks and they're like, hey, this is the exact same content. You know, and if you, if you have a little bit of the budget and energy, should <clears throat> should you maybe be like, Let's say you're doing three new ones on TikTok that are different from your Instagram type of thing. Do you think you should be using that strategy or should it just, does it matter? Is it all the same on each platform? I mean, if you have the time, energy and resources to do it, then I think, you know, because we know that every platform is different and it does have slightly different audiences. I still do think that even if you post the same video, the chances are that one person is not going to see you cross posted across all of them, right? Because most of the time, Instagram might not even serve it to all of your followers, may not even serve it to all of your audience. TikTok also might not serve it, right? So the chances of them seeing your video two times, I think are very, very low. And even if they do, it's not a big deal. They'll just keep scrolling, right? So I, in my opinion, it's just better to go to frequency and efficiency. But if you can make adjustments for the platform that where it makes sense. So for example, on TikTok, using a sound that is trending more than one in Instagram, then sure, you can make those modifications. Um, but I really think that if you're going to be, if you're already pressing record to make a video, like you might as well, like might as well um, just do the lowest minimum effort thing of just cross posting it. If you want to add little bells and whistles, if you want to add additional things that are specific to that audience, um, then sure, like I'm sure it'll be helpful. Um, But I don't think it's absolutely necessary and especially not for folks that have limited resources time and energy. right do you think that you should be really doctoring the videos up does it matter now so like if you look at tiktok and you know let's say you're let's just say you're doing a talking head for example right you know and you have the cap so captions okay got it but then you have some things popping and some sounds and maybe a couple clips that are bouncing around do you think it is that important now to have video quality of looking like that now or just talking and then just having normal captions. Do you think you have to start going to those levels now to make the video look better and get traction? You mean levels like what, like adding like backgrounds or filters or things like that? Yeah, um, and adding filters and you know and you know 
few cuts here and there that pop, you know, a little bit and oh, stuff like cuts that. that pop. Just make, yeah, making the video like move a little more and more. Do you think that that's a necessity now to to capture that audience? I mean, it will certainly perform better, right? Because right, right people make a judgment about whether they should scroll or, or, or not within like half a second. And so you right. have a very small window of time to keep people's attention. Um, and in general, the, the problem in a way with short form video content is that it's training people to, to become like dopamine seekers. Right, where they're right. like that. That video didn't give me enough dopamine. Give me another one. Hit me again. Yeah. Right. Give me, give me <laughs> right. something better than that. Right. Yeah. And so I think yes, like that's really important to as much as possible within within your confines to make your videos as engaging as possible. Sometimes it doesn't have to be like making weird cuts, but it could just be something really provocative that you say in the first second of your video, right? Right. So that also can stop you. It just, it's, you can use a variety of strategies. It can be what you say. It can be the panning of your video. It could be the sound. It could sometimes even, you know, I've had a client that had a TikTok video, video go viral. Um, and it was nothing that special, except, you know, we know that text on video, like full text on video tends to work really well on TikTok. Um, and, and it just had something interesting to say to people. So that really resonated. And it took, it was literally a, a video of their product didn't move with just a bunch of text on top of it, uh, talking about, you know, um, things that moms should think about when they're feeding their kids cereal. And, and that really resonated. It, it was a low quality video. There was there was nothing more than just that interesting copy. And, and the thing with that copy is that what we've seen with this sort of scrolling video thing is that people, if it's kind of at the top of the screen, if there's copy there, people will just naturally start reading it. So that right. will make them stay in your video longer, right? So there's ways that you can think about creating your content so that you, you kind of hook people in immediately. Because if you don't, and if you don't keep their attention, they're just gonna scroll. Like they won't even, yeah. they don't care at all. Um, yeah. And so yeah, as much as you can make it interesting, exciting, arresting, that would be, yeah. that, that's the recommended approach for sure. That's amazing. Well, this has been great, great information. That, oh man, we talked talk for an hour just about, it went so fast, <laughs> it went so fast. Yeah, this mean, you could lovely. Talk yeah, we could talk forever on on this subject, and obviously, it's such an important subject in business. So, you know, people will really enjoy this interview. So, where but uh, where can everybody find you at website, social media, and all that type of stuff? Sure. Yeah. So, my website is plantastrategy.com. Um, so, you can find uh, us there. We have a consumer insights course that's launching in a month. Um, and that's for brands that want to learn how to really work with their consumers. Um, also on LinkedIn, and I'm starting to take my own advice this year and we'll start posting uh, more on Twitter and um, TikTok as well. So uh, make sure to give us a follow, sign up to our email list. Um, and yeah, this has been really lovely, Shane. Really enjoyed speaking with you. Yeah, me too. Thank you. So, thank you so much. And thank you for watching, everybody. Also, make sure you guys go over and join our Compassion Kingdom. You know, we have a very large community from around the world where we go out once a month and 
Uh, last month, we raised four or 500 jackets for the homeless. The month before, the big vegan companies made tofu sandwiches for us, and we fed all the homeless. So every month we do something, and so many people from around the world do something as well, too. So go out, live your life with compassion. And again, thank you so much for this great interview. Thank you.